The attributes of God. If anyone needs a handout, there's some on that table by the door. You never know. <clears throat> With the attributes of God, it could actually be a six-month study. Uh, we'll just see uh, what happens. I'm, I make no promises either either direction. Yeah, they might cut my pay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, be aware of that. You get exactly what you pay for. <laughs> okay, the attributes of God. I didn't put it on here, but we can safely assume this is part one. An attribute is a characteristic which is intrinsic to God. <clears throat> it is that which, which God is identified or distinguished. God's attributes can also be defined as perfections. The attributes of God are who he is. In other words, God does not merely possess justice, mercy, and love. He is justice, mercy, and love. And again, all his attributes must be under, understood, and that's why perfections, to the maximum level. God, you, you, just, you cannot get any better. All right? Now, the classifications, there's a, there's a variety of classifications that people go into that I just picked two because it, just, it gets kind of monotonous and it doesn't help us. But incommunicable attributes and communicable attributes. The incommunicable attributes are those unique to God, for example, eternal and self-existent, you know. And then communicable attributes are those transferable in part to humans, for example, goodness, righteousness, and love. All right, so again, the incommunicable, think of, a, my wife gave me a great example, think of a disease. <laughs> some are communicable, some are not. So communicable, but then... I think we need to move on to aseity, which God, otherwise known as self-existence. And these, uh, these, these three we're starting with here are all incommunicable attributes. And by the way, theologians differ, too. They'll, they agree on some, but then they'll say, ah, this one, and, and that's why I'm saying I'm not going to get into that game, you know, because you, we can hem and haw about these things and never, never really learn anything, so... I'm just going to take them one attribute at a time, and uh, like I'm going to try to pick off three of them this morning. God, neither self self existence. God is independent of all things. He is perfectly self sufficient, not depending on anything outside Himself. Nothing. He he is dependent on nothing. Let's look at John five, and I do want to look at these all these passages. Because some of these passages actually have uh, an obvious application in them. Because um, what I don't want to do is just learn a bunch of information and then just kind of let it set. But John 5.26. For just as, as the Father has life in himself, that it's in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Okay, so right there, Jesus speaking from the uh, perspective of being the God-man has that self-existent life in himself. Remember, when Jesus became man, he did not give up being God. Okay, he did not give up being God. He emptied himself of many prerogatives of deity, but he did not cease being deity in any stretch of the imagination. 
Now, <clears throat> another passage we can look at in Romans eleven thirty six that God depends on nothing. In fact, all things depend on Him. It's just it's just the opposite. Romans eleven thirty six. <clears throat> and that's a good thing to know that he's not dependent on anything because we certainly are dependent on him. And I, I, I really wouldn't feel real secure being dependent on a God that was dependent on something for his existence. You know what I'm saying? As so many of the uh, false guards are, by the way, even from how they're taught by the people that practice the small, false gods. 1136 Romans says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. And Paul's response to that is to him be the glory forever. Because that's it. He's it. He's, he's all things in, in and of himself, needs nothing, relies on nothing. Um, and again, Acts 17. A good application of God needing nothing is Acts 17. You might remember from that chapter. That's where Paul was talking to the uh, Epicureans there on Mars Hill in, in uh, <clears throat> Athens. 17, 24 to 26. And here he's speaking to them. Remember the unknown God? Remember that story? He goes in and he sees all these gods and he's kind of troubled. He says, what, you know, look at all this. What a pagan city was that, was that response. And so he saw, and this is a good one too. Pick up this tidbit for witnessing where Paul saw an opportunity about the unknown God. And it was in an area that people like to talk religion. And so he, he took this opportunity to interject some truth about the real God. Let's pick it up in verse 24, where it says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord. I mean, this is some great theology. You notice he's not trying to, um, you know, arouse them with uh, stories. He's just going right, he's, he's with the truth, straight ahead with the truth. Straight ahead with the truth. The God who made the world. Genesis 1-1, right? I mean, he's taking that direct approach. He's not messing around here. He's going right to the heart of the issue. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Direct assault on the pagan deities and the pagan form of worship. Verse 25, neither is he served by human hands, again, aseity, uh, <clears throat> as though he needs anything, since he himself gives, gives to all life and breath and all things. And verse 26, he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Well, there's a I can see a few uh, attributes mixed in that bunch. We've got uh, uh, we've got creator, sustainer, um, <clears throat> sovereignty, uh, having their, their appointed times and their boundaries for their habitations. I mean, it's just all these things, all these attributes of God make him up, make him up, and they're all and gee, again with the attributes they all worked in. They all work in perfect harmony with another. No attribute is sacrificed for another one. You know, none is more important than the other one. They're all in perfect harmony, always working together at all times. I mean, that's God. That's what I say. These are these attributes can be called perfections because that's exactly what they are. And and because they're perfect, they work in perfect harmony, as as you might expect. <clears throat> 
And then Ephesians, according to Ephesians, we'll look, he does everything according to the counsel of his own will. Uh, I know at times many Christians, many of us, like to make suggestions to God that, well, wouldn't it be better, you know? Well, you say, you say, uh, thank you very much, but uh, I'm, God would say, thank you very much, but I've got it handled. <laughs> Don't worry about it, you know? Ephesians 1 5. He predestined us according to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. That's a determining factor for your salvation, by the way. Verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he proposed in him. And verse 11. Also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. Again, his will, his intention, they'll be carried out. They'll be carried out. And again, we could be thankful for that. And on that note, we'll turn to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Exodus 3, 14. I'm in Exodus 30. I got a few pages yet. Okay. Great chapter. Uh, this is the, uh, the sacred name Yahweh. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, this you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Again, remember Moses asked me, what, who should I tell them? Tell the people, what is your name, God, that I can tell them? And he says, my name is I am that I am, and that is the name. Another word to say that is Yahweh. My name is Yahweh. I am that I am, and that speaks of his aseity, his self-existence. I am means I am. He's the ever-present God, self-sustained, self-sufficient. I am. And again, and that goes, he's the eternal I am, which takes us to our next attribute, eternity. Now, eternity means God transcend, transcends all limitations of time so that he is without beginning and without ending. God is, God, God is not limited by moments of time. Okay, If something ugly happens or something good happens, that doesn't alter his plan at all. He's not, he's not affected that, the way we are by things. Hey, hurricane blows through. Okay. Matter of fact, you want to know who sent it? <laughs> I mean, God's, God's in, it's another attribute we haven't got to, but you know, God's in control of this thing. He's got it. Uh, let's look at Psalm 90. I've been noticing doing these studies and over the years reading through the Psalms, many, many attributes of God are listed and praised in the Psalms. I mean, you want to do a study of the attributes of God, read the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms are just full of them. They're just everywhere. And then doctrine. Um, I mean, when you, and you see God being praised because it's got a, uh, you know, a, a, not a, bi well, a bias toward Israel because it's written in their time. But these same truths apply to us. Spiritual truths do. Um, and uh, you look at these, and, and God is so praised for who he is and what he does. That's the Psalms. God is being praised for who he is and what he's done. And will do, because some of them look forward. But Psalm 90, verses 1 through 4, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, 
where thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. No beginning, no ending. Verse 13, you did turn, you just turn man back into dust and to say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years is, is in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a, or as a watch in the night. So yes, yeah, just a moment, a quick time. It's like one night watch. A thousand years, like a one night watch. It's no big deal to him. Time is not a factor to him. Kind of sounds like Peter, you know, to Lord, a thousand years a day and a day is like a thousand years. That's not, that's, that, that, he's not hampered by that. One, um, I'll, I'll get to it later. But he's also, Isaiah 40 has a lot. Um, I'm try, I tried to pick a lot of these uh, to keep them close so he didn't have to bounce all over the place. And I don't know anymore. My, my fingers don't handle it well. <laughs> but um, start with Isaiah 41.4. And we'll just read a few out of Isaiah. And again, this... There are literally hundreds of passages that would uh, speak to this. Isaiah 41.4 says, Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the, from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am He. You see that? The, asking that question, who, <clears throat> you know, calling forth the generations from the beginning? He says, who did that from the beginning? The Lord says, I, the Lord. I, the Lord. Or I, Yahweh. Okay, that's second. The first and the last, and the first and with the last, I am He. I mean, it's just, and again, when we get into the deity, there's so many passages here that you can, you know, the I am, and Isaiah 43.10. You are my witness, declares the Lord. And my servant, whom I have chosen, in order that you may, may know and believe me <clears throat> and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. That's pretty plain, isn't it? But it just, it's over and over again. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity, I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? And the obvious answer to that is nobody. <laughs> no one. I mean, again, Eternity, eternality is definitely spoken of there. So is omnipotence, all power, sovereignty. He determines it. It's going to happen. Okay? I mean, it's all there. All these attributes just functioning together. And it's, <clears throat> I, I got it because it was so close, but I love this 44.6 because it has a little messianic, uh, Flavor to it, Isaiah 44, 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord, or Yahweh, of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and there is no God beside me. You notice, though, 
all of these are very close to each other in Isaiah. See, a lot of these, you get to these books, and a lot of them, they, they'll go through and they'll pick up themes as you go through. Here's a great theme about God, 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 eternal, eternal, all-powerful, working. And, uh, <clears throat> and I don't know if you're familiar with Isaiah, but the first half of Isaiah, they're primarily warnings and threats of judgment and impending judgment. And then there's a little historical interlude. And then in chapter 40, it, this, the focus views more toward the future of Israel. Yeah, judgment's coming. If you, that's still there. That's still talked about. But the majority of the conversation in Isaiah goes to the future of Israel, that they're, you know, the future is going to be okay f- for national Israel, but just not for the, most of the people living at that point in time, because they had apostatized and they were, remember, remember they actually adopted uh, <clears throat> pagan idolatry, which, which is like, I mean, that's the first commandment, boom, you know, first, second commandment, bang, they just, sorry, that, that one won't fly. And then we, I don't think we need to, I think we're doing good here, but I'm just going to mention this one because the other passages say it, but it's just that God existed prior to creation. That says so many places. Um, and again, you can link Christ in there as, as a pre, uh, <clears throat> as existing prior to creation, that he too is eternal. And we'll explain that a lot more when we're going to get into a, a, at least somewhere down the road on the Trinity itself. Probably right here with the uh, in the doctrine of God, we can maybe do the attributes after that. We know Genesis one one in the beginning God created the heaven and earth. So in the beginning God was creating it. Remember God was creating all time, space, matter. I mean He created it all right there. There was no time per se prior to creation. Okay, we just had eternity out there. I'm just you know, um, and once this thing. When we remember our study in eschatology, when the new heaven and new earth, new the new city of Jerusalem, get into that, move into there. There'll be no time there either. Just, just go. It's just eternity. It's forever. You know. <clears throat> now I did put a sub point in there. All true believers in the gospel will have eternal life. However, it's not eternal like God is eternal. See, we're not eternal because we had a point in time we were created. We were born. But we, from the time we're born, that's that applies to all humanity. Every human being that's born is going to live forever. The question is where? See, and that's a big question. That's the biggest question mankind must answer. I, they need to understand, and that's part of the gospel, they need to understand Things like heaven and hell both exist. And they're on earth. There's, it's, this is decision time for mankind. I mean, individual, not you know, mankind in, in, as a whole, yes, but every individual must make, you know, has to come to that point to where they, they bow the knee to the almighty eternal God or face the face the consequences i i'm i'm 
Yeah, I'm fine. Just I'm take it for a lake of fire is, uh, again, Scripture is put into language that we humans can understand. And um, I can see it look like a, just picture a giant lake that's burning. And uh, people are, well, Revelation 20, I'm going to read it, which, where all who reject the gospel will also live forever. So I'll, I'll read that, Revelation 20, 10 to 15. Where, <clears throat> and the devil who deceived them, this is after the thousand year reign, was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. They were tossed in a thousand years earlier, remember? At the end of the tribulation. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Little note about the lake of fire. It too lasts forever and ever. It's not like something you toss in there, you're consumed, like the, say, Seventh-day Adventists teach. Not so. Not so. And then right here, verse 11, the, <clears throat> starting about what's called the, the uh, often called the Great White Throne Judgment, where all the unsaved of the earth are risen and stand before God. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat, up, sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and other and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which are in them. That's the grave. All the, all given up. Nobody, nobody skates which are in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Well, they're not needed anymore. Because after this, nobody's going to die. So this is it. Uh, this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, immutability, which means God never, God is unchanging. He is unchanging in his essence, character, purpose, and promises. God is eternally the same. Psalm 102. And I think we're going to make it. If I don't dilly-dally. So. Okay. No, I'm... <laughs> God's promises are eternal. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> One hundred two, Psalm one hundred two, uh, <clears throat> twenty-five to twenty-seven. Of old, you did found the earth, and the heavens are work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you you will endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, you you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not, and your years will not come in. You're going to stay the same, no matter what happens. Um, God God doesn't age. He's not going to age. He's not going to wear out. God is, uh, you know, we wear out. And as time goes on, if you haven't felt it now, you will. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, you, you hit a certain point in life and it's the downhill run, you know. For some, it starts earlier than others and uh, it 
A lot of it depends on how you take care of yourself, actually. Now, and again, God does not change his mind. Malachi. And this is where I think one of the good blessings comes in. Malachi, it's Matthew and back up. Malachi 3, 6. <clears throat> Remember how often Israel would fall into, fall into sin, wander away from God, do exactly the things that they're not supposed to do. This is, a, this is great. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. You know, God's covenant promises are the reason they were not consumed. And so many times, they, and even God made those threats. And we're going to see some here in a little bit. But... Um, He's going to do what he says. He's going to do what he says. Look at numbers. Read a couple there. And then I want to look at some possible discrepancies that uh, folks say, well, wait a minute. What about this? And we'll deal with a few of the what about isms. Numbers 2319. Immutability. Always standing firm. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man, that he should repent. Meaning, repent means to turn around, right? Change direction. He has said, and will, <clears throat> he, he has said, and will he not do it? The answer would be yes. Or, has he spoken, and will he not make it good? The obvious answer to that, again, that rhetorical question is, of course he will. Of course, if he said it, it's going to happen. And then 1 Samuel 15 29 says and also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind now there's a time glory of Israel is actually a name for God in this passage okay the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind for he is not a man that he should change his mind again his his word and his promises are just like himself. They're absolute. They're unchanging. Now, on page two. And I threw a term out at you just so you know they exist. So if you come by one, you can point at them and say, you're an open theist. What about the argument of the open theists? <laughs> okay. <laughs> just happened to have a definition on the handout. Bless you. Okay, now. <laughs> uh, this is my day at house, you know. Okay, that's okay. We'll, we share our lives with you. <laughs> an, an open theist is one who rejects the orthodox view of God's immutability and omniscience. Uh, the open theist views view teaches that God grows, learns, and discovers things. He previously did not know and changes his mind. They also believe God took a risk by creating mankind whose actions he cannot necessarily foreknow. Hmm? They get it at that place where they get all the other false doctrines. 
You'd be surprised. There's, yeah, there's a lot of them. You're some of you, a lot of your Episcopalians, even some of your Nazarenes. There's a lot. The some of your some of your Pentecostal groups. There's basically for the most part in in what we would call what would be labeled, not what I would call, but what would be labeled Christianity. Your leftist denominations would buy this. Those that basically denied the scriptures. Okay, and um, let's look at some of the problems. Look at Genesis. We'll start Genesis six five through seven. Supposedly problem passages. Now again, remember those. So too, remember those um, uh, <clears throat> verses that we they already read about God being solid in what He says, immutable, unchanging. Genesis six five through seven. Remember, this is the time of Noah. He's the flood is. He just dec decreed there's going to be a flood, and so here we have six five through seven says. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a statement there um, of total depravity. Uh, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man for whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I had made them. Uh-oh. The open thieves say, see, God changes his mind. Forgetting all the passages we just read. Okay? So, okay, okay. Well, but we got we to gotta reconcile this, right? So what's going on here? Well, where it says, that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I made them. This is an anthropopathesis, okay? A figure of speech. That's easier to say. It's a figure of speech used by God to communicate to man, to, on, to communicate to man on mankind's level of understanding. And what he's doing there, this is a figure of speech describing how angry God is at mankind for their sin to the point that I'm sorry I created you. You know, you and and he did go ahead and destroy man, right? Except verse eight, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Matter of fact, found favor means you could put favor could be translated grace. Okay? See that's the grace. 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 Remember again, remember all these passages that we know. That's where the Bible must be interpreted with the Bible. You know, you read things like in Ephesians concerning the church, concerning believers, you know, I have chosen you before the foundation of the world. Before he said, let there be light, we were chosen. Okay? He's not going back on that. See, the whole, bring the whole scriptures together. Bring them all together. You know, People grab one and they run with it, you know. And uh, it's kind of like wrong way peach fuzz, man. Grab it and ran the wrong, they run the wrong way with it. <laughs> you know, they just all the ring. No, that's wrong way Corrigan. Yes. That's it. I think that was a cartoon character. It was a, a blast to my youth. Which is why, which is why I don't revisit it often. 
wasn't real exciting. Peach fuzz. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, it's it's an expression of anger, yeah. and he's, and he's expressing it in terms we would understand, yeah. like and this is a term, no matter how upset parents you might get at your children, don't say this. <laughs> I'm sorry you were ever born. I mean, people I've heard people in supermarkets say that. I, I I cringe on behalf of that kid, and I'm and I'm hoping in inside that like gosh they've said it that's bad. I really hope they don't mean that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You hear stuff like that. Just yeah. <laughs> That's an anthropopathies. Just tell, just tell them. As soon as you pronounce that, you'll understand. <laughs> I mean, there's anthropomorphic statements too, figures of speech in Scripture, where we know God is a spirit, but yet it says the hand of God or the eye of God, the arm of God. Yeah, those are all again figures of speech to make the point being made understandable to us. He's, I mean, if God spoke in his language, <laughs> good luck. We've, you know, he's got to bring it down. He's got to bring the infinite God has to bring his infinite thoughts down to our <laughs> level. Again, he's just got to bring it so we can get it, you know, so I can get it. Exodus 32. Similar situation. Again, this is the the scene of the this is response to the golden calf. Remember that? Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you, speaking to Moses, a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord, his God, and said, O oh Lord, why does, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with might and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from the, your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, remember Jacob, uh, your servants to whom you did, you did swear by yourself and, and did say to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and in all the land which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. And it says, verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about harm, which he said he would do to his people. This is a fascinating, again, the, this is a figure of speech expressing the Lord's anger about the sin it also gives us an, a great illustration here, too, about, um, <clears throat> in fact, did anybody believe that God was not going to honor the Abrahamic covenant? No. God was expressing his anger, and I think it's, I think it's, what I think is part of this, it's not really said, but Moses stepped up. Moses stepped up. Like, 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 almost like interceding, like an inner. Except he was Moses. Unlike us, would speak to God face to face. Remember, God, you said Moses, my friend. I talked to him face to face. Well, he was basically inner. It's like when we intercede for for others in prayer. This is what 
Moses was doing except face-to-face. And um, <clears throat> even though God's a spirit, face-to-face is a figure of speech. <laughs> okay? And so he was speaking to God saying, Lord, remember all this, your promises. And he brings back Abraham. Remember Isaac. Remember Israel. You know, which Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And I think it's uh, interesting that Moses chose the word Israel instead of Jacob. Israel, like 12 tribes came out of, you know, the whole nation came out of that promise. And so then the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. But uh, again, I think he was uh, giving Moses the opportunity to step up. And because uh, there's no way, there's no way that God was not going to honor his covenant promise. Remember, it says, I am not man that I should lie. A promise is a promise. In spite of us, it's a promise. You know he's going to have his way. And there's even, there's even a variety of passages, passages that, that, that uh, tell us that we need to be persistent in prayer. So, you know, don't just say, throw one up there and, hoping it sticks, you know. <laughs> Some things we need to be praying sometimes for years about. One thing, one thing we'll find out in, in studying his uh, attributes, he's big enough to take it and handle it. You can't overload him. Well, when you, when you, yeah, and when you look at God, in, again, in total, and we haven't, I know we haven't got there yet, but like, in fact, of his, his, we, we understand his sovereignty. And we understand that when he determines to do something, and matter of fact, uh, <clears throat> we're going to look into stuff like that, things that he's determined. But uh, um, where it says, so the Lord changed his mind, I think that's a way of telling us that God answered Moses' prayer. Okay? And if the sovereign God was bound and determined to wipe Israel off the face of the earth at that point in time, do you think any amount of prayer by anybody would have changed that? Mm-mm. No, no, that was determined. That was that was yeah, that was a determination. And again, the Abrahamic covenant was God's word. God put His word on, and and that's what Moses was bringing out. Lord, you gave your word. You know. And um, again, that was I, I think this is a neat passage. The more you think about it, the, the neater it is. You know, you've got all these things working together. Some of the things th- seem to be in conflict, but really aren't. You know, um, and that's why, you know, when you look at God's immutability, I'm so thankful for that, especially when it comes to our salvation. He's unchanging. He's unchanging, you know. So that's that to me. Immutability is one of those that gives me one of those attributes that gives me great comfort. Because believe it or not, sometimes I mess up. <laughs> no, <that's it. laughs> and even in that, I mean, there's even passages in Romans that suggest even in our failure. That gives God glory because that shows his long-suffering, which we wouldn't understand if we didn't fail so much. In fact, we fail 
and we haven't been wiped out. <laughs> you know, so I mean, it gives us hope. I'll get the last one. We've got time. Cut into the next guy's time. So what? No, we're not. <laughs> Jeremiah eighteen five to eleven. Just so we can tell everybody, we did everything, <laughs> more or less. And I'll just what we're going to read here is not a change of mind, but a threat of judgment. Jeremiah eighteen five to eleven says, "Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying." Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as the potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hands, O house of Israel. At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom, to uproot, to pull down, or destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I have planned to bring on it. Or at another moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. And if it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. And so now then I speak to you and the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a calamity against you and devising a plan against you, O turn back, each you from his evil way, and reform your ways and your deeds. But, <clears throat> so, in other words, we can stop there. In other words, what's going on here is it's not a matter of, you do this, I won't do that. You do, this, is, this is not a wishy-washy statement. This is a statement like, you want to avoid judgment, toe the line. That's what, that's, this, is a, this is not a change of mind, but a threat of judgment if you keep sinning. And guess what? God did that. And you got Jeremiah who witnessed that judgment because uh, wouldn't be that long down the road. Here comes Babylon. Okay, here comes Babylon. It is. It's exactly what it is. I mean, we, in our day, we are fortunate enough to have the completed canon of Scripture. This book is full of warnings, and that's just the kind of thing we need to take to the masses out there and warn them that, Judgment is coming. Repent. Um, because, you know, they said for the kingdom is at hand. Well, the kingdom still is at hand, and judgment is, comes with it. So, yeah, if you keep reading in Jeremiah and then go into Lamentations, there was blood in the streets, too. It was, it was ugly. We need to close in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you so much that for your... The fact that we can count on you for what you say and what you're going to do. And Lord, we just, <clears throat> we are the weak links in this thing. And we just pray, Lord, that we would remain faithful to you. We thank you for the faithfulness of the people here and for this church, that you would keep us all on the straight line. Again, Lord, we thank you f for your attributes, that they are indeed perfect. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>